It's those first experiences that mark us, that yeah. stay with us. If you're a professional singer, want to know how to turn singing into a career, or simply love to hear stories from singers on the road, then The Working Singer is the podcast for you. I chat with pro singers about how they make a creative living in the music business, lending their talent to stars like Enrique Iglesias, The Killers, Elvis Costello, and more. They share life lessons, business advice, and how they make a living when they're off the road. We'll also discuss vocal health, technique, performance, coaching, and pretty much all things vocal. Elevate your approach to your singing career, get enlightened about what the pros do, and be inspired with new ideas that you can make your own. My name is Jamila Ford, and this is the Working Singer Podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. I am excited that you're here today. We got a great show for you, and I know that you could be doing about a trillion other things right now, and you are choosing to hang out here, and I greatly appreciate that. It means everything. What do I want to talk to you about today? Perfectionism. I started reading a book, and I can't remember if I'd mentioned this to you guys before. It is called Finish, Give Yourself the Gift of Done by John Acuff which I, I mean, in all honesty, I actually haven't finished, but I am halfway through. I am working on reading the book, but I did come to a very big realization because I realized, you know, what a perfectionist I am. I didn't believe that I really was because, you know, I have such a hard time finishing things and I do try to always do them well. But I don't think I was always striving for it to be exactly perfect. You know what I mean? I, I don't know how in the details about everything I am. And I thought that that was a perfectionist. But as I'm, you know, reading this book and I'm seeing, you know, more and more of myself just mirrored back to me, shall we say, um, I was just like, oh, wow, you know, I, I see things in like black and white. And I think it's like all or nothing. And I keep myself from doing things because I don't think they're going to be good enough. If I can't go all the way, you know, why even try? And, you know, I've been challenging that certainly with releasing, you know, this podcast. I've challenged that a ton really in the past two years. But, you know, I had come to find that it is so, perfectionism is so the opposite of, you know, art and the freedom that we need in order to create it. And in order to like just fully explore and play, and we can't, I don't believe, really have true play if we're worried about not getting dirty, you know, and... Um, artists need to allow themselves to do that. It is all about allowing. It is all about, you know, releasing in the way that you release and letting go in the way that you let go. But you have to do it. And we have to let ourselves, you know, play and explore and all of that. Have all these strict limiting beliefs on ourselves, which really just keeps us from being the singers and the artists that we really want to be. And so I was thinking about this a lot and um, it's just funny because in this conversation today with Susan Giosa, um, we talk about that. And she says this thing in the interview you're going to hear, but I just think it is so fantastic. It should be framed 
Perfectionism can be the downfall of some artists. I no longer say I'm a perfectionist. I say I am a woman who strives for excellence, who's not afraid to make a mistake. And I thought, ugh, that is what it is. You know, we can play and still strive for excellence. We can like weave in and out of our art and, you know, make messy stuff and just try things. But we have to allow ourselves. And I think I feel like that perfectionist inside doesn't let it happen. Whoever's voice that is, you know, talking to us, whether it's our own or whether it's, you know, voices that have been kind of collected in our head over the years is an interesting thing because I think I had this conversation on the show and, um, you know, I've, I've had it with other people. But, you know, when we're kids, you have to think about like where that comes from. And when we're kids, we don't think about ourselves in this way, that things aren't going to be good enough, that our finger painting isn't going to be... <laughs> Our finger painting isn't going to be good enough. Um, the way we ride a tricycle isn't going to be good enough. The way we, you know, um, the way we play in the sandbox and build a sandcastle isn't going to be good enough. We just go ahead and do it and just allow ourselves. And we want to do that thing, so we go ahead and do it, which is so important. It's so imperative that we just, you know, cultivate that for ourselves. And I know it's something that I'm certainly working on um, more and more and, you know, just trying to make it an exercise just to do things, even if they're not necessarily artistic, you know, waking up at five in the morning and watering the plants, letting that be just like kind of connecting with the stuff around me and allowing it to happen and not saying I don't have time for this or that, you know, just kind of doing nice things like that. Like I really attended to my little garden on my patio the other day. I just kind of let myself do that. I cut away all of the dead um, parts of the plants because there were kind of a lot because I hadn't, um, you know, paid attention to them in a while. I just kept kind of walking by them. Every once in a while I would water them. But you know how much better those plants look? That was like two days ago. And I've just kind of been giving them love for two days. And they look so much better and so much greener. And I think, you know, they respond to that love. It's just an interesting thing. And the other thing that I'd heard about plants that I've kind of applied to life. You know, I heard this a long time ago that if you cut away all of the dead stuff, then the roots of the plant stop trying to give life to things that are dead because, you know, it the roots, you water them and all of that kind of thing, but it's still going to try, the roots are still going to try to give energy to the dead parts of the plant. And in the live parts of the plant are not going to get as much as they can get because you know, it's giving its energy to something that isn't viable anymore. Once you cut off all of those dead parts, then the green parts can get all of the nutrients and whatever it is that roots send up to them. They can get everything, you know, that they need. And I kind of think of life in that way. I like to remind myself to think of life in that way, you know, kind of getting rid of things that don't serve me. And I think a big thing that doesn't serve me is this perfectionism. So I will be finishing the book. (laughs) It will be happening. I've been working on it, you know, reading it every day. Um, It's just part of my little morning ritual. Um, But um, it's such a great book. I I do suggest it. Um, 
you know, especially if you've called yourself a perfectionist. And at this point, whenever I hear somebody, because like so many people like wear that as a badge of honor. But I think and, and I feel and I kind of recognize to me, it just kind of, you know, when I hear that, it makes me think I limit myself. I don't allow myself to play and explore. I don't, you know, um, I don't give myself the freedom to see what a, B, or C can become because I'm so I'm holding on to it so tightly, you know. And I think that is a big difference from you know I strive for excellence in everything that I do, and I allow I allow myself to play and just discover what can come out of singing the song one way instead of another of you know holding the stomach muscle one way instead of this old way I used to do it or singing the line this way or all of that so. I've got my guest today, Susan Giosa. Uh, just a little bit about Susan. She is an award-winning actress who has worked over 30 years and has been teaching acting for nearly 20. She holds a BA, MA degree in drama, theater, and did most of her graduate work at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts in London. She trained for many years with renowned acting teacher Larry Moss. The Susan Giosa Acting Workshop is about the personal, individual development of each artist. The goal is to understand how you, as a unique person and actor, work and eventually become master of your own acting technique. This is so relevant for us as singers. We do have to act when we sing, and there are times where we may have to do a little more singing or a little more acting than singing, but it is so important, I think, to be able to... Um, have our emotions available to us. We hold so much. We hold so much. Um, and, um, you know, having taken this class, I can certainly see when other people are doing it, you know, when I'm doing it. Um, you can see when somebody on stage it doesn't quite have all of their um, emotions and available to them and they aren't as comfortable as they could be. And there's no judgment on anybody. I mean, it's just kind of like, you know, we go through life hearing a lot of things about ourselves and and we take that onto the stage with us. So her emotional um, freeing your emotion, emotional core workshop is really about, you know, making your emotions available to you. And I think ultimately making your voice available to you fully. And then, you know, the sky's the limit. Then we're really communicating with our audience. Then we're really giving ourselves over to um, that show and that performance. So I'm going to stop going on. I mean, I can go out about this all day. It's so fascinating to me. Um, but I love everything that um, I love everything that Susan has to say. And I hope you do, too. Without further ado, Susan Giosa. I'm so glad to see you. I'm so you happy too. we're doing this. This is great. Kind of, um, I'm just amazed at you taking your own power. That is what I'm so pleased with because mm. so much what I teach in my method of freeing your emotional core, which you've done, yeah, um, is about really being connected to your authentic self, yeah, and understanding that you're valuable and that you, as an artist, are unique. Yeah, there is no other artist like you. And that's yeah. for every singer, that's for every actor, that's for every dancer. You are uniquely you. You are only competing with yourself yeah. to be the best that you can be. You cannot compare yourself to other people. It's a waste of your energy. It's a waste of your time. That's what I truly believe. Yeah. And if you think, if you believe that your voice is valuable, you're going to say something with your art. 
You're mm. going to express something that comes from you uniquely, your life experience. Yeah. Whether you're writing a song or interpreting somebody else's song. Yeah. You know, for me, the most interesting thing, you know, that I've learned from, from teaching acting yeah. is when I ask the students, who in this room thinks they are passionate? Every single person raises their arm. Mm. And then I look around, and what I'm seeing are a lot of inhibited closed down people mm. and I'm thinking oh so you're feeling it all inside yeah it's all in there but you're not sh passion is the expression of feeling mm. it's not what's locked up inside it's can you express it yeah and to me that has been sort of uh, an epiphany hmm. with teaching people that every human being feels I'm feeling inside here. Yeah. And my methods, what I teach, is but are you unzipped so you can express it? So you can be authentic. Yeah. So you can use it. And that's true. Can mm. we talk about your personal experience with me? Do you want to talk Please. about that at all? Yeah. Um, you, when you came in and you took my class, you already had a, a beautiful technical voice. You studied with William Hanrahan. That's how mm -hmm. I knew you. Mm -hmm. I had studied with him also. Um, and I remember this fear of making a mistake oh yeah this to me is a downfall of, be, of all artists this mm -hmm. is what i feel this perfectionist i'm a perfectionist mm -hmm. and we're almost proud of it yep and if we're obsessive compulsive which a lot of artists are <laughs> all of a sudden you're yes but it has to be perfect it must be perfect yeah i can't hit a wrong note and i play classical instruments yeah. So I understand that anxiety. Like, oh, I hit her own up. Yeah. Oh my God, I've destroyed the, everything else that I just did because of that one wrong note. And now I identify myself. This is how I freed myself of that. Mm. I no longer say I'm a perfectionist. Mm. I say I am a woman who strives for excellence, who's not mm. afraid to make a mistake. Ugh. And that has freed me in so many ways. And if I can convince other artists of that, yeah. like I said to a young classical um, violinist that I know, I have anxiety, I have so much anxiety, and she's only like 17 years old. Mm. I said, because you're afraid to make a mistake. Mm -hmm. Promise me you'll make three mistakes next time you play. Yeah. And she said, really? No. And I said, yes. Because I guarantee, maybe you'll make one. But you'll go, oh, I only made one. I gave myself the option to make yeah, three. And you won't and die. And you make any at all, and you won't <laughs> die. Yeah. You won't die. Exactly. God forbid. I think that's the funniest yeah. part, is we, what are we afraid of? So what I think my methods have done, and certainly helped you, and I remember this as clear as day. Yeah. I do love your hair, by the way. Thank you. Look. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I remember when you were coaching with me for a Broadway show, and I think it was about the Supremes. Oh, yeah, I was do auditioning. I was auditioning for that. Yeah. Yes. So you came and coached with me, because a lot of interpreting, playing characters on Broadway, of course, or even someone else's song, is you're, you're often playing a character. Yeah who's telling a message, who's telling, who's, you know, giving a message, right. right? And you were singing, and my husband was in the kitchen. And you sounded good, you always sound good. Mm -hmm. You're a pretty voice, right? But you were holding back. 
but yeah. you were holding back emotionally, your voice was holding back, mm. and we did some of my crazy exercises to get out. Remember the get out? Oh, yes. I still do them. <laughs> yeah, it's good that you still do them. Yeah. And the it's mine. Yes. So after I had you do my crazy exercises, yeah. which, if you remember, they deal with your fear of judgment. What yes. I've learned is most anxiety that we feel, because I suffered from panic attacks. Mm. Now, when you suffer from panic attacks, it affects your breath directly. You're literally... <laughs> You're gasping for air. That's yeah. what a panic attack is. So if you're having anxiety, you're... <sighs> How yeah. the hell do you sing? Right. I played wind instruments. How the hell do you blow a clarinet and a flute? Mm. When your breath is directly affected by your anxiety. And then I became an actress. I studied acting. I went from classical music to being an actress. And emotionally... How could I express things when anxiety was in the way all the time, interrupting yeah. what I needed to express? So the things that I've created have literally come out of a need and a necessity for myself. Mm. I would walk into an audition, and then I couldn't do what I could do Right. when I wasn't in the room. Mm. So that is true whether you're singing, dancing, acting. That is true of all of us, right? What mm. is that anxiety? And after analyzing it, and also through exercises through Larry Moss, mm -hmm. who's a great acting teacher who I studied with, yeah. who literally came from Warren Robertson Actors Workshop, mm. where I think these exercises originated from. They're yeah. in my book that's coming out, by the way. Nice. Um, <laughs> finally. Yes. Free your it. emotional core. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure whether to call it unzip or uh, live and act with passion, but it will definitely have freeing your emotional core yeah. in there somewhere because those are my ec exercises and yeah. they come from that. And I then understood that the fear of judgment is the only thing that blocks us. People want to say, I'm afraid of success. I'm afraid of failure. You are simply afraid of what someone else thinks of you. Mm. That is all we're really afraid of. You can analyze it any way you want, but it comes down to that. I care more about what they're going to say about me singing or acting than I think about my, how I feel about right. what I'm sending out to them. Mm. And how do we deal with that anxiety? And I realized that there were three kinds of judgment. Mm. There's parental authority figures mm -hmm. that we have from the day we're born. That's people are still trying to please mommy and daddy, mm -hmm. and they're 40 years old, or they're 20, or they're 80, and they're still trying to please mommy and daddy. And then there's your peers, which are your siblings or the schoolyard kids, Yeah. which a lot of people are stuck in middle school in their yeah. head. Right. <laughs> How they were treated, right? Who was made fun of? Yeah. Look what happens today. Look at the suicide rate. Look yeah. what's going on. Mm -hmm. This obsession with online media. Yeah. What other people think of us, do they like us, how many likes? It's right. obsessive. Yeah. It's obsessive. And so sense of self is even more warped, I think, today than it used to be. Mm. Because it's constantly, what do people think of me? What do people think of me? Every minute, every hour I'm checking. Yeah. Right? And then the last one is what everyone thinks it is, but it's really the other two. And that's I'm doing it to myself. Mm. And I always say, were you born doing that to yourself? Were you born saying I'm not good enough? Yeah. Were you born saying yeah. I'm not talented enough? Yeah. Were you born saying I'm not pretty enough? Right? Yeah. No, you weren't. Somebody said something to you. Some, you, you had a parent who nothing was good enough for. Mm -hmm. It had to be perfect. 
therefore, if it wasn't perfect, it wasn't good enough. Mm. I knew from, I've heard extraordinary stories. I had a young Asian actor who always came in the top three in his class, and he came in number seven one year, and he was beaten for two hours. Oh, my God. And if people don't think that that is living in them, and that fear and that anxiety, mm. I can tell if who's been actually beaten as a child by the way they s come into a room, by the way they sit. Really? What's going uh, on with their... You, what you see, <laughs> we're on radio, so nobody can <laughs> see what I'm doing. You'll just have to come meet me. <laughs> but what happens is when you haven't been hit as a child, you don't have as much anxiety about meeting new people, about walking into a foreign situation. Because mm. the consequence was never a smack. Mm. It was never a hand coming at you or a belt or something like that. Yeah. So you might be a little afraid of a verbal confrontation if there was a lot of yelling, but you're usually going to be more relaxed in your body. Right. People Makes sense. who have been hit are holding almost like, let me monitor this situation carefully because danger could be here. Right. Because yeah. when I've been afraid, or I when, it, I mean I've been afraid yeah. when I've asserted myself, mm. and the authority figure didn't like my opinion, because mm. a lot of times you're beaten for the wrong reasons. Right. Right. Like I'll say to people, do you remember why you were beaten as a child? And they'll go, Oh, I was only spanked, and I spanked is hitting. You were hit. Was it? And with a belt. And they'll go, that, That's normal. And I go, No, that's not normal. Mm. My daughter's in her early 20s, and I've never spanked her yeah. or beaten her or hit her. Yeah. And she's a wonderfully moral, loving, compassionate human being. Yeah. Do you know? And she's very in her body because she's comfortable in her body. When you're beaten, you're beaten on your power source, which is right behind your crotch. Mm. Your power source comes from your crotch. You know it. Yeah. That. Talk about that, actually. Yeah. It's, it's quite interesting. Uh, people like to think that crotch open, you know, which is <laughs> what I talk about, means sexy. Mm -hmm. But crotch open means power. Mm. Because a person who's comfortable in their body is sitting in a much more open way than a person who is closed. Right. And immediately when you're comfortable in your body, which you want to sing when someone's singing, Right. The last thing you want to see is someone uptight. And I've seen people like that singing and going, I can't really watch them. They don't look comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they might sound yeah. good on a track, but yeah. watching them, I'm bored, you know. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you have to be moving around, dancing, kicking over your head. It means you're feeling. It means you're sensual, not sexy. There's a big difference. Yeah. Sensual means you're feeling. Mm. Sexy means you're sort of exploding sexuality. Mm. And I don't think that that's necessary. I think when you're in your body, it's easy to be sexy. Like when I play sexy characters, it's not a big chore for me. Because mm. my body's already open. I'm already in my crotch. Does that mm. make sense? Yes. So that's an interesting thing to teach young people who in this day and age, and you know, I could get a little bit into, I don't want, never want to offend anyone's religious beliefs because I think we all should respect each other's religious beliefs mm -hmm. that this country is based on. But there is this sitting in church from a very young age or in the synagogue at a very young age for a child, we're talking about children now, mm -hmm. that is unnatural for them. 
to sit sure. at two, three, four years old with your knees closed mm -hmm. and your back up and they want to slouch and they want to move and they want to kick their feet. You know, I yeah. think church for children should be, they should sit on the floor yeah. and every 20 minutes we get up and we move, you know, yeah. because what happens is you're literally conditioning that person to hold everything in. And when they stand up, those legs are together and that back is straight and they mm. look like they're still sitting in church. Mm. And I often can tell when people come to study with me if they sat in church just by how they're sitting as an adult. And that's mm. not something that you want um, on a stage. You don't right. want to watch that on a stage. You want to watch somebody. Um, that's why when we watch great gospel singers, right. they, they're letting go in church and people are up mm. and they're moving and yeah. they're passionate yeah. and they're expressing through their body that's healthy it's mm. how church should be yeah but not churches where you're sitting and the music's playing you know the organ and nobody's feeling anything and you know yeah it's not a it's not healthy we are passionate beings mm. and passion can be heard in your voice in your singing and can be seen in your body yeah. and to me that's the key how do you release that in a human being and you know from having done my exercises that they help release that fear of judgment that yeah. suddenly says okay I can breathe mm. take a breath it's okay it's what I'm going to offer you it's mm. my gift of giving here Yeah. because art is a gift of giving I don't care if you're a singer an actor, a dancer, a painter, a yeah. writer. You're giving a gift. Yeah. And when we think of that that way, not like, oh, what are they going to think of me? Yeah. Then we just get filled with anxiety. And, and we shut down. And mm. we sort of withdraw, you know? Mm. So what's been very interesting in the work I've done for 20 years, and this is something you don't know, mm. is that I just recently worked with a therapy group. Mm in New York. I just came back from New York. It's called Critical Therapy Center. Okay. And Sylvia is a therapist who believes as I do, I've been saying for many years, many years, therapy needs to change. Traditional therapy, sitting around talking with your body shut down. People will say to me, I've been in therapy for three years and I've never cried. And they'll come really? to take an audit with me and they're crying within 10 minutes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm yeah. making you move your body. Yeah. And what I've learned, Jamila, is that when we hold with our body, we cannot feel. We have to think of feelings moving like breath through the body. Yeah. So when you're holding, holding anywhere, crotch, arms, anything, breath, the feeling can't flow. Hence, it can't go in your voice. You can't hear it. You can't feel it because you're just technically trying to send air through rather than letting it come from emotion. Right. And the story I was telling before about you singing for mm -hmm. the Supremes that I never finished <laughs> because I go off on tangents, uh, is that you, I made you do those exercises. Yeah. And you suddenly stopped worrying about judgment. Yeah. And you sang and a voice came out of you that my husband walked out of the kitchen and said, wow. Yeah. He heard the difference from the other room. Yeah. I'll never forget that. Because that taught me a lot about what I was doing, that I was on the right track. Mm. That there is something about us holding 
and it comes from this fear of judgment. And we, we don't, like, children don't care when they're playing. Mm. You know, you say a bunch of t kids sing. They get up and sing, Yeah. right? You say to um, adults, sing, oh, I'm not so good. Oh, I don't carry a melody that well. Yeah. Oh, even great singers, I'm not warm top. <laughs> possibly <laughs> <You know. laughs> and I get it I get it but yeah. that again is oh, I won't take a risk right I'm not gonna risk singing five notes for you right now I'm not gonna risk that without warming up and doing my very best mm. a singer sings and interesting thing when you watch someone like Stevie Wonder mm. who can't see what he looks like mm-hmm if you ever saw him sing when he was young, he didn't stop moving. Right. Think about young Stevie Wonder, back and forth with his body and his head. Mm -hmm. and, and there's nobody said, people don't do that when they sing. Mm. They're not, you're moving too much. Now, finally, they probably got to him and told him that because he did start to contain it more. He still let his head go, but he stopped rocking his body so much. And mm. maybe when you're young, they think it's fabulous, and then you have to look a little more like you got to fit in a little more as an adult. Yeah. Um, but he still, that head moves when yeah. he's singing. And I'm trying to think of when you think of these great passionate singers yeah. that we're turned on to they're moving mm. they're moving they're feeling and I don't care what size they are it has yeah. nothing to do with your spin big it has nothing to do with that it has to do with the passions moving through the body mm. and it doesn't mean you're, again you're kicking over your head it just means you're we almost see the feeling in the body right and that is exciting to watch that is riveting to us it's like when somebody's authentically feeling, we're, it immediately catches our attention, mm. which is an issue I have with a lot of performers. And you know, at my age, I have a, I'm one of the top dance agencies, MSA, mm. and I get dance jobs. And I'm sure other people, how is she getting that? Mm. Because I'm also telling a story as a dancer. I've never trying to just show off what I can do as a dancer. Yeah. I'm what, what is, who's this character they want me to be? What is, what story am I in? Because often, you know, you're, you're doing a TV show where you're dressed as an elegant woman in something, or you're, you know, I did the glow pilot where you're, you're, uh, you're 80s, you know, gym class, you mm. know, and that has a whole different feeling. And when, you know, when you're in aerobics class, you're relating to other people. Mm. So if you don't realize, oh, of course, I'm, I'm here with my best friend who's next to me in your yeah. head, making a backstory, who you're looking at and smiling with, and yeah. you know, I'm saying those simple little things. Right. And I think it's true of a singing. Mm. You know, sometimes I watch a singer and I'm going, who's in your story? Mm. This is a story about a lover. I don't, I'm not feeling your lover at the other end. You're singing the words at me. Mm. But where's your personal story about him or her? Yeah. We're and so focused on sounding good. Yes. I mean, that's the thing. So, so focused. Yeah. It's kind of like once we're performing, and I know it's hard to do, but we have to do this as actors and we have to do it as dancers and singers. Your technique is your technique. Mm -hmm. Now, you might at one point, if you're doing a particularly high note, going to prepare technically, going, okay, I'm going there, I've got to make sure. But pretty much your technique is going to function. You're not going to suddenly make it better. Mm. 
Does that make sense at that moment? It is what it is up to that moment. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And there's that good old <laughs> word trust, isn't there? Trust, absolutely. Trust. Yeah. Larry Moss used to say to, to actors, actors' faith, at what point do you know what you know? Do you trust what you know? Right. And you give yourself to it because mm. performing is giving yourself over to it. Yeah. Isn't absolutely. It? You give yourself over to it, and then we have an experience as the audience, and mm. you're moved, mm -hmm. and we go on this journey with you because you're on a personal journey. Yeah. So it's it's so easy to say this to people. It's another thing to find it in yourself. Yeah. But people who are studying with me are finding this authenticity in themselves and their power in themselves through my exercises. I have even CEOs of companies now coming to me. Mm because they have to give speeches and they want to be authentic and they don't want to look like robots. Right. And yeah. people have learned to shut down. They really do. They function mm. in a world where I have, you know, you tell me what to do, what time does this have to be done? Mm -hmm. And they've lost that sense of self. And you can't start and someone pisses you off during the day at work. I get it. You can't go, yeah, you're an asshole. Mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> just confront them. But I always say, go in the bathroom and do a get out. One of my gets out. Yeah. Right? And, and get it out. You will go, oh, that guy's an asshole. <laughs> oh, my God, he drives me insane. And then you get it out, and then yeah. you go back to your seat, and you're not holding that in all day and all night and, and all month. And that's mm. what happens is we don't let big, dark emotions pass through us. We're told mm. they're unacceptable. Yeah. They are very acceptable. Anger is acceptable. We mm. have to understand that that's a feeling we're allowed to have. We're not allowed to abuse another person. Mm. So how do we let go of anger without being abusive? That's the key. Mm. Yeah. But anger is power. If you don't let yourself ever get angry, you don't really feel your power, right? Because sure. feel if you're offended, truly offended. If someone... I mean, look at, look at our political situation mm -hmm. right now today. If somebody came in and said something to you about your race, mm -hmm. do we have to sit there politely and go the poor, uneducated well, human being? They know, they yeah. know nothing, no support. Yes, we yeah. can have compassion, how mm -hmm. they were raised and uneducated, but part of us is also angry. Yeah. And we think it's unacceptable, especially as women. Can we talk about being a woman artist? Yeah. Well, you get judged for being angry. You get judged. You're called emotional. A man's called powerful. Yeah. A man's called assertive. A woman's called a bitch. Right. So how do we get around that? We have to change the perception. We have to say, sorry, we're powerful too. Mm. And if someone were to say something offensive, I would say, I find that very abusive. Mm. I find that very offensive. I don't care. I've gotten to a place, thank God for age, for becoming mature. <laughs> because... You get to a point, at least I have, and maybe yeah. what I teach, is I feel I have the right to my voice. Mm. Most of us don't. I don't even think that we realize that we, that we don't. That don't. Yeah. Yes. I think um, people are still being good little boys and girls. Mm -hmm. and, and look, I always say I love good people. <laughs> my students, people that I teach, are good people. They are. Yeah. I don't like self-centered narcissists. Yeah. You know, it's all about me. And that. But where do we give up trying to please others just for the sake of being nice? Yeah. Right? And giving ourselves up. 
Hmm. We have to find that line. And as an artist, when you're on stage, G-Melody, you are there as you. That is your time to speak to us from your truth, to sing to us from your truth. Hmm. You're singing, you cover songs, right? Mm -hmm. So you're interpreting them through Jamila. Someone else singing it is going to sing it different. Right. You can only bring your experience. And I know you, you're also a good actress. I, I know what you can do, I've seen it. <laughs> you know, I've worked with you. But you are, I don't know now, because we haven't seen each other in a while, yeah. but there was always kind of a sense that you didn't want to offend anyone. Oh God, yeah. That's anyone, a, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And part of that's our conditioning growing up in our families. But my husband's a stand-up comedian, and he says hi, by the way, Glenn. Do you remember Glenn? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he remembers you very well. Aww. And he used to worry about everyone liking him. Yeah. I said, you're a stand-up. You're <laughs> doing something wrong if everyone likes you. Yeah. Because you're supposed to have a point of view, and that point of view is some people aren't going to like. He's not that offensive. Mm. He doesn't curse that much. So somebody who likes somebody who's, you know cursing their ass off is yeah. not going to love him necessarily. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You, you have to be truthful to who you are and you have to tell your truth and you find your audience for it. Yeah. And I've always said that about me. You come and study with me, you're going to love that I'm passionate mm -hmm. and I have more energy than the 20-year-olds or you're going to go, this woman's too much for me. <laughs> I can't take her. And that's yeah. a compliment. Yeah. And I used to think not when I was younger. Mm. You know, oh God, they don't like me. What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? Now, I realize that it could be their failing, that they're not able to risk enough to study with me, that it's too yeah. scary for them, that they're not ready. I tell some people, you're not ready. Mm. You need to go to therapy. And that's when um, someone recommended me to Sylvia at Critical Therapy. Mm. I should know her last name, but I can't remember it. <laughs> She uh, believes the same thing, that therapy should not be detached. You're not mm. teaching people how to have a healthy relationship. That mm. the therapist should have an intimate relationship with you, the way I teach. It's intimate. Mm. I get to know you. I share my stories with you also, mm. which makes people trust me. They think, well, Sue shared that she was molested. Then I can share my darkest secret. Mm. And that creates trust. And she also believes that you're supposed to empower people, that you're supposed to talk about politics and social responsibility. Mm. And all of these things, you're not supposed to be a detached therapist going, well, what do you feel about it? What do you think? Mm. That creates a very unhealthy relationship with a human being because that's not the way we deal with each other in a healthy way. Mm. So I love mm. that she's discovered this. And she actually asked me to come and work with all her therapists with my techniques. And it was fascinating and then sent me a patient so that I could help the patient feel quicker yeah. the trauma and then she went to Sylvia who worked with her one-on-one -on -one about it so hopefully we'll work together in the future yeah. but the methods are actually healing people mm. and it's not my job I'm not a therapist licensed therapist mm -hmm. but if if psychiatrists can and psychologists can use it yeah. and really explain why it works, but it has something to do with, I make you move right. while you're talking. Yeah. You mm. can't hold in your body and sit there and be a t what yeah. I call a talking head. Right. Let me ask you this yes. really quick. Ask whatever you Yeah, because yeah. where, uh, where are you from? Where did you grow up? I want to go back a little bit. Oh, where am I from? <laughs> 
I'm from Hartford, Connecticut as a baby. Oh, wow. I don't really have one memory. I think I was two when I moved, but I do have a memory. <laughs> and then I moved to the Bronx when I used to talk more like that. <laughs> <at a level. laughs> Still talk like that a little. And I lived there from two to five. Mm -hmm. And then I moved to Long Island, mm -hmm. New Hyde Park, where I was pretty much raised. Mm -hmm. I went to college in Queens College and then did my, a lot of my master's degree uh, from England mm -hmm. through Queens College. So that's really what I've lived. But I've been out in LA a long time now. I think when I got my actual first job, mm. I think 1984, when I got my very, very first equity job. Wow. So pretty much been in LA a long time. So you're pretty much an Angelina. <laughs> <laughs> so it was always acting for you? You got your degree in it and everything? Yeah, my degree, mm. um, drama, theater, dance mm. minor. Mm. And actually, my BA and then the MA is drama theater. It's a it's a B, uh, MA in drama theater. Okay. And oh. I probably should have been an MFA mm. because most of it was performing in England, working mm. with the teachers uh, from Rada and Lambda, the Royal. Uh, do you know those schools? Mm -mm. No, those are like top acting schools in London. Mm. You know, yeah. so. That's really been my training, but I set, told you I started as classical musician. When I started college, right. I, I started as a music major. Oh. And the problem was I had never had music theory. Okay. I had not. Oh, interesting. I, what I could do was sight read anything. Okay. I had switched to the flute when I was 16. Mm. And uh, I had a flautist from the New York um who was teaching me yeah. artist that my father found that was amazing and she said you know you're old 16 is old to start on a new instrument and I said I love music but I don't love the clarinet I picked it when I was seven mm. I said give me that long black thing old geez Louise isn't that hard to believe that's crazy. because they're ready to go into you know uh, a symphony to play symphonies when they're 18 some of them. Mm. So they've been on that instrument, what, 10, 10 years already. Yeah. And I was starting a new instrument. Okay. So mm. when I got to college and I was a music major, people could play the piano. People knew theory. I could not, for the life of me, had no skills for chords. I played melodic instruments. Mm. Where you play a melody. Right. I had a great ear. I could hear a melody. I could repeat a melody, I could hear a rhythm, I could tell you what that rhythm was, mm -hmm. 16th notes, you know, 30 seconds. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't, I didn't have any training in chords. Mm. And you needed that. Like what my daughter has at CalArts. Yeah. I've learned more about that through her. Right. Through what she had to actually do at CalArts. Yeah. And what's it called when you take dictation, music dictation? Oh, transcribing. Yes. Yeah. Like, if they would play something, we would have to be able to transcribe that. And yeah. I could do the rhythm yeah. perfectly, but I didn't know what that note was. Mm. I could hear it, like I could have sung it, but I hmm. didn't, couldn't translate it. I hadn't been trained in that way. Interesting. Because I did, yeah. I think he called it solfeggio then, my teacher, where I'd literally be doing something like um, B, C, D, D, A, A, B, in the rhythm and the note. Mm. So I'd be saying the note and the rhythm, but not singing the melody. Okay. 
Does that make sense? Yeah. Because the instrument would sing the melody for you. Yeah. Oh, wow. Interesting. So he neglected to teach me the vocal part of it. Mm. Was, was, no, that note, the C sits here and the A sits there. Because yeah. the clarinet or the flute played it for me. Mm. Yeah. So it didn't translate. So I felt way, 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 way behind as a music major. Mm. And my mother was an actress from the actor's studio. Oh. I read a fury. I didn't realize that. And she taught acting. And I'm sure secretly I wanted to be an actress and show my mom that, you know. Mm. But that was like her thing. And my older sister was supposed to be the actress. She sort of ordained her to be the actress. And I'm (laughs) like, you know, I'm really good at this. (laughs) 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 I can do this too. And then I ended up um, switching to the acting. Mm. which was really good and went into some musical theater right you know because if you know me I'm I just sing Broadway musicals that's that's the style I am not a pop singer yeah and my point again of being an actor Mm. when I was starring in New York in Breaking Legs a comedy uh, Mm -hmm. with Vincent Gardenia I they people would say oh Sue's great she's hilarious she's a great actress can she sing yeah. And, my, yeah. and I was training. Now, yeah. I didn't have William then. Right. So belting, you know, I have this big belt voice, but I would get hoarse sometimes. Mm. Never got hoarse with William. So interesting mm. that, that I didn't get hoarse with him, with his yeah. technique, which right. was so good. But I got hoarse with some of the other teachers that I felt with. But I was training, mm-hmm. you know. And before that, I would get callbacks for Broadway musicals. Mm. And I go, what's going on? And I, I talk about anxiety and shakes. I'm not qualified to sing in a Broadway musical. <laughs> but they called me in for Adelaide on Broadway. Yeah. And I got down to the last two with Faith Prince, who literally won a Tony for that part. Me and her at the final callback. I was like blown away. I'm oh going, how did I get here? Don't give me this job because I can't handle it. Oh my gosh. But I was singing, you know, I could belt the C easy. Um, there's a scene in Adelaide's song that mm-hmm. um, I remember some people like, oh, just belting a B was hard for them. Now people belt up to, you know, E and F, <laughs> they're way above <laughs> the C. But I remember at that callback thinking like, wow, wow, mm. what am I doing here? And that's why the performer in me and the person who could tell a story, mm. you know, if you're doing a lead in a Broadway musical, you have to be an actor. You can't just say I'm a singer. You're right. playing a character in a scene. Yep. You know that. Yeah. So there's a, there's a different requirement for that. Mm-hmm. And I um. It it would it would I would have car accidents after I sang because really? I was so terrified of singing. Wow. Like talk about anxiety. Yeah. My anxiety, I kept would say to myself to calm myself down. You know. When I now when I went to an acting audition, I go, "Well, you're not singing," and I get very calm. Because it was terrified to sing. <laughs> terrified. Because when you wow, suffered from yeah. panic attacks as mm-hmm. a child, it's in your breath. Mm. You know, it's, it's in your breath. I marvel at how do singers sing when they're nervous. We can kind of still act when we're nervous. Yeah. But we really can't sing too well. And yet I know some people, my daughter, who's beautiful voice, beautiful pop voice, she'd rather sing than act. And she's yeah. a good actress. But, like, she'd rather sing. Yeah. That's her comfort zone. Yeah. You know, I suppose it's the same for you, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's only because I don't know what I'm doing. Yes. You know, if I knew what I was doing, then. And that's yeah. the other thing 
Um, yeah, it's it's like Larry would say: actor's faith, singer's faith, dancer's faith. Yeah, know what you know. Right. Don't keep proving what you know. Yeah, that's kind of my history, and then I went. I, be I became the actor. And yeah. Funny note: um, I would get often called back for Broadway musicals. I can't tell you how many times. And there's a very funny story where the pianist, her name was Carol Weiss, mm -hmm. she knew me. And I was at a callback for one of the Broadway musicals. And when I got down to the nitty gritty, the panic would set in. Because I'm going, what? They're actually considering me? I'm down to what, three people? You know, <laughs> what am I doing here? Right? <laughs> and because I didn't have as much technique, that's where the technique could have saved me. That's yeah. where technique, you need technique when right. you're under a lot of pressure. Absolutely. I yeah. tell people all the time as actors, half the stuff I teach, I don't think about it anymore. It's second nature for me. But if I'm under pressure for a lead of a series or there's an important audition and I need to feed myself an emotional release object, I'm going to use the technique mm. because I'm feeling pressure. I need to focus more. Mm. It's not coming as natural. Mm. When we are relaxed, we're naturally creative. Mm. It's the tension that stops those impulses, those creative impulses that come naturally. It's like saying, why does everyone love singing in the shower? No one's listening. Mm. The water's running. Right? It's covering your sound pretty much. Yeah. And we're singing away. I'm great in the shower. <laughs> I love singing in the shower. I actually have gotten to a place where my voice is almost okay to me now. Mm. As, as a musical theater performer, not as a pop. You know, I, I would never even pretend. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I actually can say, you know, that actually sounds, that doesn't sound bad. Yeah. You know? And I think if we're constantly judging our sound, what comes at, either as an actor or as a singer, we're in trouble. We have to accept, it's like accepting what you look like. Mm. I always say to actors, stop trying to always look at yourself younger. You're going to be in despair. Mm. Say to yourself, I could be 10 years older than this. I'll look great. Mm. Because when a camera comes onto your face and you're going, are they seeing that wrinkle? over my eyebrow, oh, my nose doesn't look good from this angle. Mm. That's just self-conscious behavior. Yeah. You have to be okay with how you look and how you sound. Mm. You have to find acceptance as an artist in that. That is your expression, that is your instrument. It's like your body for a dancer. If you're 5'2 and have thick thighs, but you're damn good, mm. then that's what you are. You're 5'2 with thick thighs and you're a damn great dancer. Yeah. You're not going to be 5'8 with skinny long legs. Mm. You have to accept what you look like. Mm. And in the world we live in, hopefully we're moving toward that. You know, I think we're trying. We're trying right. to tell mm. people, accept your body. Accept. When I started as a dancer, you had to have a body like me. Tall, thin, long legs. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that sort of Bob Fosse body, that that uh, rockette kind of body that was almost every dancer that you saw. Yeah. Finally, that broke, thank God. And how you moved mattered more than what your body type was. Right. Right? How did you find that comfort for yourself in your own body and, and with yourself? Because you used to have panic attacks. You yes. Know, coming from auditions or having to audition or knowing you're going to have to sing. Or So how did you... You know, it, it sounds so corny when you say this, hmm. but it's the truth. And it's how do you find self-love. Right. We talk so much about compassion when you never talk about self-compassion. Right. 
like we consider ourselves good people when we care and we feel other people's pain. Mm. But what about our own? What about compassion for your own journey? Mm. And what changed me a lot was when I studied with Larry Moss, who was on his personal journey. Mm. And he I think going to therapy five times a week at one point. Wow. And he was bringing in exercises, Tom Bradshaw healing the inner child mm. and using them in class. And there were a lot about self-love. Mm. He told us, I remember, I never forgot this, that one of the exercises he was told to do was look in the mirror in the morning and say to himself, I love you, Larry. And he said it took him a year. He go, oh, come on, I love you, Larry. Yeah, like I, he could look at himself. It was like, right, and this is stupid, you know. This is, but what's stupid about it is if you don't believe it, you can't do it. And mm. I started to say, okay, there's mm. got to be something in this. Can I look in the mirror and say I love you and mean it? And I have found that through the, through the process of my work and what I do. But guess what else I discovered that was more important than I love you? That. We all think it's love. People have been beaten and told they were, it was done out of love. Right. I did this because I love you. I'm beating the shit out of you because I love you. Mm-hmm. What we want to hear from our parental figures is, I am so proud of you. Mm. I am so proud of you means, not only do I love you, I respect you. Yeah. I am glad you were born. Oh my God. I am proud you're my child. It means all of that. And I do an exercise in my class with, um, who would you want to hear that from? And we go around in a circle and people sob. Mm. My father died without ever getting that from his father. Mm. It killed him that he couldn't get his father to say, I'm s and people go, well, I know they feel that, but we want to hear it. Yeah. We need to hear these things. It is a big difference. So I'm actually able to say to myself, I am so proud of you. Mm. And that is huge because I am proud of myself. I know from where I come. I know the journeys. I know being molested for three years. I know all of what I've traveled through. I know my crazy family and the issues with siblings and, and all of that. Mm. And, you know, my husband will always say, I'm so proud of you. You're amazing. <laughs> you know, we can get it. I'm sure your husband, he's a doll. He's the same, yeah. right? But can we say it to ourselves and actually believe it, Jamila? And we need that. Um, mm. I think we confuse humility with self-confidence. Hmm. So, so? Yeah. I must be humble. Like self-confidence is just saying to yourself, I know I'm a terrific singer. Yeah. That's not being a narcissist. That's yeah. something you earned. Right. That's just confidence in what you've earned. And I think what happens, people who are taught, be humble, never toot your own horn, they're afraid to say anything positive to themselves. Sure, yeah. Because they think, you know, it makes them a bad person. I'm not talking about the person that goes around, I'm the greatest singer that ever lived. I'm better than anyone. I I'm, should be a superstar. Those are just words from a narcissist who hasn't worked for something. Mm. But if you actually are working hard and go, I think I have kind of an amazing voice. That's what people are telling me. And I'm working really hard and I'm able to do things I never could do before. Damn, I'm proud of myself. Yeah. 
It's a whole different journey. And that's a journey as an artist that's changed me. And I'll tell you something, I'm confessing this over the radio. <laughs> I think I'm crazy, but it's in my book. So when you suffer from OCD, when you're obsessive compulsive, it's partly in your DNA. It's how the, we operate. Hmm. I've learned that almost at least half of the creative people are OCD. It's part of being creative. It's part of being obsessive and wanting to get everything better and better and better. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not always a bad thing, right? Mm -hmm. the, the OCD. But because we have it, no matter how healthy we get, there's always going to be a propensity to obsess. Mm. I actually can feel negative feelings come up. It's almost chemical in my stomach. Mm. Like if I'm starting to, oh, I'm going to start putting myself down and saying that's not good enough, you haven't accomplished enough. You mm. know, I can almost feel it yeah. in my stomach. And I'm sure most people can if they were honest with themselves. They go, oh yeah, here I go. I'm about to put myself down for two hours. Yeah. Right? I literally look in the mirror. Or sometimes I'm even near a mirror. I just say it. I say I love you, Sue. Mm. I'm so proud of you. And it stops the thought. You can't have two thoughts at the same time. Right. So when we're OCD, we tend to stay on a thought. Mm. Like, yeah. God, you're just not good enough. You know, just not, where's your career going? Where's your career going? And you get you don't realize your subconscious is literally repeating, your career's going nowhere. Your career's going nowhere. You mm. should be doing more. Mm. Why aren't you doing this? So you're obsessing. We have to break the obsession and what I've done with my little small technique is I break that pattern and it literally, the feeling stops and I go on with my day. Mm. But I do address it when I feel it. I don't pretend it's not there. And right. I think that happens to a lot of people. Let me just pretend I'm fine. Yeah. I think the downfall of artists is everything in the past is okay. It's all okay. Mm. I'm okay. I'm over it. Do you ever hear that? Oh, people? yes. I'm over it. You're never over it. What you are is understanding it, and can you handle it? Now, mm. can you handle it to me means not never visiting it again. That means you're afraid of it. Mm. Oh, I never, I don't have to go there anymore. What are you so afraid of if you're over it? Mm. To me, a healthy human being is someone who can visit anything that's happened in their life. They can visit it without fear, mm. feel it, and come back to the now and say, I'm okay. Mm. But feel it, visit it, not, I'm never going there anymore. Yeah. That is profound to me. Mm. That has been a, a, a revelation for myself. Mm. And some people have had horrific, horrific things happen to them. And they, they need years of therapy to get over. I mean, I've heard some stories in, in my studio that they're heartbreaking. Yeah. They're yeah. heartbreaking. But what they do is they put life in perspective. Like, I wasn't raped, but I was molested by a music teacher mm. from 10 to 12. An old man who was highly respected, mm. quite famous, bassoonist, and he was senile. Mm. And he, who knows if he was a pedophile or what, because I was 10 or 12, but I had breasts, like 11. Mm. I was an early developer. And, you know, he put his hands on me and touched me while my lesson was going on. Oh, boy. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And it's amazing that I'm as healthy as I am, truly, because, mm. uh, you know, I didn't even probably understand half. I just knew it was wrong. Oh I just remember putting his hand on, on my vagina. Oh, my God. Saying, do you have hair yet? And I'm like, you know, Jesus. What is going on? And I 
I had dreams for years, three years. Those three years I was with him. I never told my parents because mm. I'm, I'm from a generation where they didn't talk to us about that stuff. So, you know, my daughter, you're kidding. He, he does anything, you tell me. It's mm. your body. Someone touches you, you tell mom. Yeah. You know? And we didn't have that. So every night I got up, I came down the stairs because I couldn't sleep because I'd have nightmares. Mm. And there was always night dreams about trying to get home. I gotta get home, you know, the safety mm. of home, you mm. know? And I'd come down the stairs and I'd go to my mother's door and never knock on it. Never asked her to help me. Oh my. And that stayed with me. That's one of my emotional release subjects that I use. I could, mm. If I want to, if I visit it now, I could cry for you. Yeah. Which is great for acting. <laughs> but yeah. I'm also not traumatized by it anymore. Mm. So I actually can visit it, cry about it, be in it, and pull myself back out at an audition. Mm. And be fine. You know, that's why people don't, I think, say, oh, don't use anything in your acting or even in singing. You know, I'm sure you use emotional things that yeah. trigger you, right? Don't use something more than three years ago. That's, can I say bullshit? That is bullshit. Yeah. Mm. Bullshit. Once you take care of an old person who has dementia, you will learn they forget the most um, recent memories. Mm. What they never forget is the childhood ones. They never forget those. Mm. Even when they have, my mom had some dementia, like moderate, mm -hmm. so she knew who we were, but she never knew in what time period we were in. But she never forgot her mother mm. and her childhood and her nine brothers and sisters. Never. Which means that our childhood are the big files in the computer. Mm, sure. And yeah. everything else is a smaller file on top. Yeah. Right? So it's those big files that stay in our brain that are our triggers. And I always say when you're nervous and having anxiety, it's not adult Jamila. It's little mm. Jamila in there. It is. It's people think, that's why they go, oh, I'll be fine. I'll walk in there. Huh? The nerves will stop. And you're going, it's not stopping. <laughs> 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 Your subconscious is going, not stopping. <laughs> because little Jamila is going, oh, were you spanked? Can I ask you that? Uh, I, I guess. I'll say, that, say it like this. Uh, my mom tried spanking us and then felt guilty about it and stopped doing it. Oh, good. She good. felt she bad. Good. Like, she, I think it's what she was, you know, we were all told, many of us she were told us what to yeah. do, but she was just like, this doesn't feel right. And she, and then she started taking child development classes good. and knew how to talk to us and didn't have to hit us, to be See? honest. You know? But believe so. it or not, maybe some of those spankings were your initial, it's yeah. like if you're four or five and a big dog jumps and terrifies you, you, you can have a fear of dogs. Right. It's going to take a while. Sure. And you, you know, yeah. it's those first experiences that mark us, that yeah. stay with us. So that, that's an interesting thing. You know, <laughs> it's that sense of, oh, if I don't do something right, I actually get hurt, which is even worse than being wrong. Right. You are actually hurt, physically hurt. And, and the, when the child's in there, when your subconscious is in its child mode, it's not half as smart as the adult. Oh, boy. It's stuck, <laughs> if I, it's stuck in there. It's like, oh, my God. Um, it, it's fascinating. And I see people really, like, interesting artists trying to please their mommy and their daddy. Mm. Still. So how did you put that, how do we put that, how did you put that into a process? Like, we're processing this as performers. I have to, like, somehow, 
um, attach myself to this and detach myself yes, from it. Yes, because you know? this, this is where, how I made the revelation. I go to an audition, you're feeling nervous. I stepped into a room and then I was shaking. I stepped out of the room and the shaking stopped immediately. Hmm. And I said, if this is all so chemical, if it's all chemical, why did it stop? Hmm. Why did it accelerate and stop? Something psychologically happened to me in the room. Hmm. That's what, where the sort of light bulb went off for me. Hmm. Because if something's chemical and you, and, you, know, you give someone, then it should stop, shouldn't it? If you're balancing the chemical, because I believe everything, we all have a chemical propensity for something. Hmm. But it's the psychological that triggers how badly it is. It's just like if you're a child like me and you're the middle child and you get attention by excelling, then you start want to excel at everything. That's how I like got a pat on the head. Oh, mm. yeah, she's the middle one. Oh, that's right. Mm. All right, she got straight A's. Good for her. Mm. So you, you start to find, oh, okay, how do I deal with this anxiety? Never told my parents when I was young. You know, I was first, first clarinetist went to the state competitions, had a panic attack. Mm. Had a panic attack when I had to compete. I remember being first, first clarinetist, not playing. I was so, they were filming it, and I, I still remember the conductor looking at me like, you know, I don't hear you. Oh, boy. Like, could I, let's have a little more, and I'm just pretending. Mm. And I'm first, first clarinetist. Wow. Because I was having a panic attack. And I thought, I can't function. I can't function, and I have a, a younger sister who's also OCD, and I think she has tried chemical and tried some things. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, Jamila, it's walking through fear. What a therapist once said to me, you saved yourself because you didn't retreat. Mm. You didn't say, I'm leaving the audition. Yeah. You went through the fear, and then after you went, I didn't die. Okay, that, that's when you get reality. It's almost the fear of the unknown. Mm. What will happen? You know, it's the, another thing I've learned to do, and it, well, it helps a lot. Mm. Like, let's say you have a big audition or performance coming up, and you're starting to feel pre-anxiety, a couple mm. of days of, of anxiety. Mm -hmm. You're going, oh, it's building. I found if I verbalize it out loud, the irrational fears, like to a, someone who lo I love, mm. who loves me, and what am I afraid of? what's happening in your subconscious fantasy. Mm. Right. Like, you know, you might be, I'm going to hit a bad note. Somebody's going to say I'm the worst singer they've ever heard. Oh, my God, she missed the note. I'll never sing again. That's how far the subconscious goes. Yeah. Right? It's like going for a lead of a series to the network. People were throwing up in the bathroom because in their head it was, Oh my God, this one audition, I'll get the lead of the series. That series will be a hit. I'll be a star and I'll show mom and dad that I'm really important. That's how far subconscious fantasies go. And when you verbalize them, it's almost like releasing it. Mm. Once I verbalize it and say it out loud, it's mm. almost like I let go of it and I get calm. You can ask my husband, he's been with me since I'm 20. Mm. I call it my little mini nervous breakdown. <laughs> but have them before the performance. Right. Not during. <laughs> Not during. Not in the like room <laughs> when you're having your audition. <laughs> and it's amazing when you start verbalizing the fear. You go, that's mm. ridiculous. That's not going to happen. The worst thing that's going to happen is I'll miss the top note. Will I die? No. Yeah. Will it kill all the other beautiful notes I've sang? It will not. Mm. That's another thing I love to bring up Stevie Wonder. He'd miss notes. Yeah. He wasn't watching himself. 
he just go for them. You've seen him in a performance, right? Yeah. You've heard him where he's missed a note. Uh, yeah. We don't suddenly go, oh my God, well, that's it for Stevie Wonder. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. It's yeah. almost the fear of the mistake that is crippling us. Absolutely. And no, you know that. And maybe, do you think like the, what we think may be like the humiliation and like our yes. losing our dignity, Yes. you know? I mean, I know specifically for myself why I was traumatized by singing when I loved music and I, and I could sing and I had good pitch, right? Mm -hmm. William said I had an opera voice in there. I'm like, you yeah, have another life, you'll hear me sing <laughs> opera. <laughs> I'm not doing opera. <laughs> but he used to tell me, arrange, you know? Yeah. Uh, because when I was in kindergarten, I know this is the reason. My there was a talent contest in summer camp, hmm. and my sister wanted to sing a song that she knew. And she said, oh, "I'm not singing it without you. You're coming up." And I was her, you know, year younger than her. And she dragged me up on a stage to sing a song that I did not know. Oh, God. <laughs> so my first uh. experience with performing as a singer was humiliation. Uh. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And that event stayed with me. Mm. And then my mother, trying to be loving and kind, would categorize her children and label them. And she would call Liz the singer. Mm. You know, I was like the smart one who could do everything. And I was also like the artist. I could draw and I could play classical music, but I wasn't the singer. Mm. So you grow up going, I'm not the singer. I guess I'm not the singer. Mm. And then I got in a... It was actually an opera, I can't remember the name of it. Damn, I can't remember the name of it, in college. Mm. But it was the character opera. You know, it was the whore. You sang <laughs> character songs, right? You didn't see the beautiful opera. And the day my sister came to the show, nothing came out of my voice. Oh, wow. That's trauma. Wow. Oh my gosh. I literally, it was that association to her, oh, you're the singer, I'm not even allowed to sing in front of you, you're the singer. Mm. This is how the child brain functions. Mm. Do you know, it's, we have to grow up, I think it takes till 25 years old before we totally understand consequence. Did you know that? No. But that does make sense. Right? That makes sense. So we're thinking with a, five-year-old brain, a seven-year-old brain, a 12-year-old brain, a 20-year-old brain, and we stay stuck in there if we don't look back. And in this day of psychology, I don't understand it. I don't understand how people aren't using it more in the arts. Mm. I don't understand why it's not, we're not looking at what an artist needs to do and be in a special way. How do we do therapy for the artist? Mm. Right? Yeah. Because we have to stand up on a stage and have I like to call it, because God forbid, I know it, people get upset with this word narcissism. I like to call it healthy narcissism, mm. a healthy sense of self. Mm. Because how can you stand on a stage and go, oh yeah, it's me singing. Right now you're gonna spend the evening with my voice, mm. Jamila Ford, and not have some sense of a healthy narcissism. Mm. You can't get on the stage and go, I'm going to apologize, I'm sorry I have a good voice, I'm, I'm sorry I'm taking the focus today. Right. And kick ass. It, it's not going to... It's not going to happen. Yeah. You know, and, and we go crazy for people like Beyonce and these mm. people who... A lovely person in real life, but she knows when she's on a stage. Right. She has her Beyonce persona. 
the Sasha Fierce. Yeah. Yeah. She knows. Yeah. She knows she has to have that. So that's that's been a really interesting journey for me, and it's really fun to get to that place in yourself where you're, you know, I'm at a place as an actress. I always say, you always think, you always think you're ready to be the lead of a series. Mm. And I've been on network lists where I was going up for a lead of my own series, and I never got lucky enough, mm. you know, to get that pilot that gets picked that becomes the hit show. You mm. know, you can't just get a pilot; it's got to be a hit. You know, it's got to be picked right. up. And I think that that um, I always say now I'm healthy enough as a human being. I'd be a great leader of the series. I'd be generous. I'd be compassionate mm. uh, because I do think it comes from the top. Even my studio, mm. uh, studios the way they're run, they reflect the head of the studio. Absolutely. You yeah. know, and I, and I feel like I'm at a place where I would enjoy it without mm. anxiety. Mm. You know, where you can actually enjoy success. Absolutely. Because I'll tell you, I, you know, my book starts with, I'm going to, I was five years old, screaming, I'm going to be famous when I grow up. Mm. And I really was going to kill myself. I used to say that. If I'm wow. not famous by 30, I'm going to kill myself because what's to live for? Oh my That's goodness. where I come from. Wow. That's how much I needed attention. That's how much I needed to say to my mom, Mom, look at me, Mom! Mm. I'm an actress too. Come on, it's these these childhood needs. They they propel us. Yeah, you know. And I I always say thank God my career took off when I was 29. Who knows? So let's um we got a few minutes left. Um maybe like a bit of advice for um you know. Uh, up-and-coming singers and performers? Us, us singers and us performers, or even those who aren't up-and-coming, and we're still, you know, going in, right? We're still doing it, and we are still trying to find that release. We're still, like, trying to, you know, accept ourselves. Yes, and I, and I don't say this to be funny. Um, read my book when it comes out, because what I'm trying to do in the book is give you these methods that I've done with you. Yeah. Is uh, it also called going to be called I, Freeing Your Emotional it'll Core? It'll be on the... I'm not sure that'll be the main the title, title, but Free okay. Your Emotional Core will be on the cover somewhere. Yeah. I don't know if it'll be the main title because I might want to call it Unzip or, you know. Yeah. Um, the, they're very important to address what's really going on in the subconscious. Mm. You can't pretend. Don't lie to yourself. Start with number one. Don't lie. And say, I'm fine when you know you're nervous and having anxiety. That's... I met a singer that I worked with in New York. Who had a beautiful voice. She's a jazz singer. She was so terrified to sing. Do you know what she had to do? She had to pretend she was dying to get herself to walk on stage. Like literally, wow. she was so terrified. Yeah. It was like she didn't want to go there. And it's like if if I don't perform, I will die. I will like physically die. Okay. She, like, instead of trying to get rid of the anxiety, she tried to come up with a scenario that would force her through this tense mm. anxiety. Mm. And and I think what you have to do is actually address your relationship to your authority figures. Mm. Am I really deep down still trying to get parental approval? Mm. Or your peer issues? Do I really feel less than my siblings? Mm. Do I really think the schoolyard kids, um, I'm trying to prove that I'm worthy to somebody? 
mm. who is not me, not yourself. You have to be honest. I always say be relentless with yourself with the honesty. Mm. Don't pretend you're okay. And I actually think that my physical exercises are healing people and helping them through it. That's yeah. what I think is so profound about what I do. Mm. Because I have discovered that you can't release things without physically moving the body. Yeah, because we and hold. We yes, hold so much. We're holding everywhere. Yeah. We're holding in our stomach. We're getting cancer, right? Yeah. We're, we're holding our body. We're not breathing. We're, um, it's, it's holding back from intimacy with other people. Yeah. I mean, young people today are having less sex. I find really? that remarkable mm. than any other generation. Because they're, they're all online. They're all experiencing things detached. Right. They're not looking people in the eyes and having conversations. Right. Right? And I think that what I, I've learned working with performers is that they often have a fear of intimacy. They think they don't, but they do. Oh, I know I do. Yes. Yeah. So to be... To be a g great actor or a performer, yeah. you know, people always say about a great performer, when you're with them, you're like the only person with that performer. He or she makes you feel special. They look you right in the eyes and they talk to you one-to-one. -one -one. That's intimacy. Mm. That's like, I can be at a party with 50 people and if we're talking, I'm, I don't see anyone else. All I'm right. there with you. Yeah. That's just an ability that I've developed and, and have. Mm. And I would say try to do physical things like if you're a singer damn it dance do something pilates yoga get in your body find physical things that release and hopefully when my book comes out you'll be able to find some of these exercises mm. that help you address directly the fear of judgment mm. it's a joy when you get there mm. it's so fun to walk into an audition now for me Mm. and like myself and, and have fun and feel like I'm going to a party mm. and just sharing my gifts. And I think okay. that, that I want that for every performer. Mm. And I'll say one more thing um, if we have time. Mm -hmm. To me, the most valuable thing you can be in our society is an artist. Mm. I'm very tired of hearing, in America particularly, putting down being an artist. Mm. Your parents are like, you're going to go to college and you're going to do a job, a job that brings you security and brings you money. Yeah. First of all, I want to say there is no such thing as security mm. in anything in life. So let's say that's a given. Yeah. I know people who had their own eyeglass store and they went bankrupt. You know, where's the security? Mm -hmm. Right? Took a safe path. Most people who study with me, many of them, went to college and got a degree for their parents in engineering, in something they didn't want to do, mm. and now they're like, I'm finally doing what I want to do. Mm. Parents have to get educated, and all of us who, will have, who have children are going to have children, to understand that being an artist is just as valuable a choice, yeah. and that we must support them, because children do need parental support. And I always use the example, think of the Olympics. There isn't a, a child or a person who ever won the Olympics that didn't have their family 100% behind them. Mm. They had that support from childhood. Mm. They had someone on their side going, you can do this. You know how many people or singers or actors and their parents are going, you really don't sing that good. Are you sure you want to be a singer? Mm. Like they know <laughs> right. what it requires to be a singer. They have not a clue, right? right? And yet they're, they're telling their child that this is a, you know what 
to me, freedom is mm. making a living at what you love to do. Mm. Screw the stardom. Screw, there's so much heartache that comes with stardom. You're making a living, you're paying your rent or you're buying property or you're paying for your car, like my husband and I, and send your daughter to a fabulous school on show business. Yeah. I'm doing what you love. You're making a living doing what you love. We're never going to retire. We don't think about retire. You think about retiring? No. No, you go, <laughs> how long can I sing? Yeah. How long? I'll sing when I'm 80. Till I die. Right? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. What a joy that is. We don't want to retire from life. Right. We're going to do what we do to the day we die if we can, if somebody will have us, right? Yeah. Do it. And I think that is an important message that we are at the top of the totem pole as artists. And you must always remember that every day that, you, that you, you're a singer or an actor or a dancer or a painter or a writer, you are pushing society forward. You are healing society. You are enlightening society. Mm. I'm very proud of being an artist. And I don't care how hard the struggle's been. I love doing it. I love being one. And I think it's important. And mm. we must understand the value oh my god i love you so much <laughs> i'm so happy we got to do this i love you back oh my gosh this is fantastic you know i think about you all the time oh you know thank you. and i got so much out of taking your course and oh. i i think about it you know and just, just so they yeah. know they can come it's the susan giosa acting workshop if yes. you want to check it out and I do teach a course, Freeing Your Emotional Core. It's eight weeks, but I also do one-day seminars. Yeah. Where you can come and take a, a six, seven-hour seminar and get a lot of these exercises in my seminar. Yeah. And I do that for a lot of people who can't take a class or they're right. too busy, you know? Where can we find you online, too? Um, I'm, I'm not do everything. I have <laughs> SusanGiosa.com is my website okay. for the, for the uh, acting studio. Um, I'm on Instagram at SusanGiosa. Okay. I just keep it simple. So yeah. people can find me. Everything is Susan Gioser. I am on Twitter, but I, I don't tweet very often. Um, you know, yeah. I'm on Facebook. My <laughs> Facebook page for the Susan yeah. Gioser Acting Workshop is on okay. Facebook. So I'm, I'm really kind of um, all over the place. Okay. Because I, I want to yeah. be accessible to people. I realize how powerful my tools are have been to me. Yeah. And people, you know, I have actors who have real careers. Yes. And that needed these tools. Yes. You know, I... I don't know if I should mention names because I don't want to. But one of my actors has been the lead of several series. Mm -hmm. And he's been coaching with me for 15 years. Mm. And he said the get out exercise gave him a career. Mm. He needed, he's such a passionate actor mm -hmm. that we're usually more sensitive than other people. Hence, mm -hmm. we feel anxiety more than other people. Mm. So we need tools. How do we get rid of that? And he said that get out where he could physically do something. Yes. To release the anxiety was just, before he filmed, was so helpful. Mm. So look yeah. for good mentors, teachers, do physical things. Don't lie to yourself. Mm. Yes. I love Say, it. Say, I want to be more free. Yes. How? And find me, I'll help you. Yes. Thank you, Sue. I love you. This is wonderful. This is wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. All right, you guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you thought about things that maybe you hadn't thought about before. Um, I hope that this really feeds into more transformation for you. Um, let's get into the singing lessons. I guess we could call them acting lessons today. But um, number one. 
You as an artist are unique and there is no other artist like you. Number two, you are only competing with yourself to be the best that you can be. You cannot compare yourself to other people. It's a waste of your energy. It's a waste of your time. Number three, if you believe that your voice is valuable, you're going to say something with your art. You're going to say something that comes from you uniquely, your life experience, whether you're writing a song or interpreting somebody else's song. Number four, passion is the expression of feeling. It's not what's locked up inside. It's that you can express it. Number five, perfectionism is the downfall of many artists. Number six, fear of judgment is the only thing that blocks us. Number seven, we are passionate beings, and passion can be heard in your voice, in your singing, and can be seen in your body. Number eight, art is a gift of giving. Number nine, when we hold with our body, we cannot feel. We have to think of feelings moving like breath through the body. When we're holding anywhere, the feeling can't flow. Hence, it can't go in your voice. Number 10, you have to be truthful to who you are and you have to tell your truth and then you find your audience for it. Number 11, look for good mentors, teachers, do physical things, don't lie to yourself. Ah, guys, so great. I am so glad I got a dose of Susan. <laughs> I hadn't seen her in such a long time. And um, it was really wonderful to see her and talk to her and just remind myself of some things. You know, she always says, don't lie to yourself. Tell yourself the truth. And she is definitely somebody who lives that and probably gets into a lot of trouble for it. <laughs> and I will be honest, you know, when you take her class... Um, you take her workshop, you do, or you do the intensive, or you do some one-on-one -on -one coaching, whatever it is you decide to do. You will have, you will be made to deal with your stuff. So you should probably go in there ready to do that. And I think it's one of the most empowering and valuable things that you can do, you know, for yourself is to really connect your emotion with your art and your physicality, and not be afraid to do it. And not be defensive about it, um, even though you probably will be. I know at times I was, and I was really forced to look at some things. And why not look at those things? Why carry it? You know, why carry whatever it is with you onto the stage and into life and into all of your relationships and have this? It's like saying, oh, you know what? I'm just going to hang on to this boulder. I'm just going to keep it tied to my ankle. And I'm never going to, you know, I I'm not going to take this key from this person. <laughs> you know, to unlock the chain to this boulder. And I think that is, you know, I, that's how I would describe the course is just a key to, um, to releasing some of these burdens that we lay on our art. You know, we should not come to it with these feelings and the, this heaviness and this emotion and all of that. I think it informs it in the end, but, you know, we want to be able to let it go. And our audience wants to be able to enjoy us and we want to be able to enjoy our audience. You know, I'm thinking about that more and more, um, you know, as I think about doing more shows next year and all that kind of thing. Um, what kind of experience do I want my audience to have? What kind of experience do I want to have, you know, and we can, in the show, deal with our stuff together, but I don't want to exactly come to the stage with my stuff, if you know what I mean. And I think 
a lot of that will come with me like digging into the songs and knowing my intention behind singing them and you know engaging with my physicality and all of that kind of thing but really coming to it with some true freedom and some true honesty and just being real with myself so you know, I, I really do appreciate Susan um, coming onto the show and sharing the way she did. And she's so passionate and, you know, she just cracks me up because as we were walking away from the studio, we had actually recorded this live, if you can't tell. And um, I'm not much of a sound person, so <laughs> that's why the sound sounds, there's some clipping at times and all that, but whatever. You can get all of the, you can get the intention and you can get the passion, but as we're leaving, you know, she's still teaching and, and that's what I love about her. She's just a passionate teacher and she wants to see everybody um do well in life and live as freely as they can and she was she was just like okay so when you're doing you know your get out exercises are you still uh, you know uh putting yourself in the scenario and you know seeing it clearly and making sure you know and I was just like oh actually I had forgotten about you know that aspect of it so it was good to be reminded but I was just like this is a person who's just passionate about teaching and want, really wants to pass on what they know you know is not going to take any of it with her to the grave is going to um I heard somebody say you know I don't remember who said this but just like live a life where you have just been used up and spent and you have given 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 and that is the kind of life that Susan is leading and that is the kind of life that she encourages her students to lead so you know I hope that you guys um if you're in LA or you're you end up visiting Los Angeles get a chance to visit Susan's class and um and experience that for yourselves and we have a listener win in from Marie Schaefer Marie emailed to say I'm a listener of the Working Singer podcast and a friend of Stace of Stacy Griesbach as well I love the episode you two did together and love all the work you do on the other episodes and wanted to share my listener win happening right now a couple of weeks ago I got back from my first self-planned tour seven dates along the west coast including California, Oregon, and Washington. On this tour, I took along my guitarist, Shane Savala, to soft launch a new album that's officially coming out next month on October 4th called No Broken Hearts. Uh, it's a mixture of modernly arranged jazz standards, acoustic folk jazz, uh, acoustic folk jazz versions of pop and Brazilian tunes, and four originals written by me and Shane as well. I'm currently doing promotion for reviews and airplay for the album now. And we'll have the release party on October 7th at the Blue Whale in Los Angeles. I appreciate all you do for the show and am so glad you've created this resource for singers. Thanks for offering this listener win portion. I look forward to hearing the next episodes. Well, that is amazing, Maria. Um, so wonderful that you are just kind of taking it in your hands, getting, the, uh, getting radio airplay, planning your tour, you know, um, and just making your career. And that's what we, you know, talk about here on the show. That's what we certainly is what I encourage. And you just do make the most empowering choice for you. And I'm like really inspired that you're doing that. And I look forward to hearing the music. And, and I'm so excited for your show at the Blue Whale. That is a wonderful venue. So guys, if you have a listener win, you've been inspired um, by what you've heard on the show, inspired by a guest, and made a transformation of your own, please email me at 
hello at working singer podcast. Actually, it should be hello at the working singer podcast.com. That's a new email address. Um, and I would love to give you a shout out on the show. Love that you guys um, are just doing your thing. It's so awesome. So, guys, if you enjoyed this episode or any of the others, please forward it to a friend and also take a few minutes to leave a comment on Apple Podcasts. That really does help move it up in the rakes, helps other people to find it. It's great information for singers to have. Um, I really hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. And um, again, you know, I always want you to have some kind of a transformation. There's always you know, a strong intention behind the guests that I bring forward. And I always want it to be, you know, useful for you. So I, I really hope that this one was today. Um, so much wonderful stuff. So many great quotes. Um, and I'm really looking forward to Susan's book coming out. And we will certainly have her back on when that happens. So with that, you guys, I love you. I appreciate you. And I will talk to you again next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>